Celebrate your freedom today. Amen. Amen. We, we've been talking for just uh, the last last week and this week. We've been talking. We launched a series called Lost, and, and we've been talking about uh, you, you know the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. It's really the two lost brothers because they're both lost. And and the reality is is that every one of us uh, need to understand that there's areas in our life where we've allowed things to that that. Maybe, maybe you're here today and God's trying to reach you because there's something in your life that has separated you from the relational intimacy that God wants to have with you. Thank you for that huge response. Yeah, maybe, maybe God would like to move you to a place where, where there's something better in your relationship with him. Maybe not. Maybe we're just killing time before you go eat ribs. Or maybe you're here today just so you can send your kid to camp. Or maybe you're here because we hand out free water and you're too cheap to buy one yourself. I don't know. Well, sometimes I wonder. Because uh, the reality is that God's trying to pull us someplace. Hello? And, and, you know, this, this story is just talking about two different groups of people, the religiously rigid and them crazy sinner folk. And depending on where you see yourself, well, I don't see myself as religiously rigid. <laughs> you probably are. And if you, you know, well, I definitely am not some crazy sinner. Okay. But one of these two groups you fall into, I like what the Amplified Bible said. The, the, uh, the Amplified Bible described him as hanging out with notorious and especially wicked sinners. That Those were the people who come to hear Jesus. Notorious and especially wicked sinners. Look at Luke 15, 1 and 2. Luke 15, 1 and 2. In, in verse 1, tax collectors and sinners. So, not just sinners, but some really nasty people too. Tax collectors. <laughs> See that? Categorizing everything. You know, they did it, we do it. You know, there's, there's probably somebody, somebody that lives a certain lifestyle that you think is worse than all the others. Yeah, I've been in church most of my life. It would be sinners and homosexuals. I got quiet in here now, didn't it? Now, don't say nothing about them now. You should be careful. Well, we act like homosexuals is, is like the top of the center list. But you're sitting here and you got unforgiveness in your heart, bitterness. You need to come out of the closet too. And they were gathered to hear Jesus. <laughs> and uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were complaining. This man welcomes sinners. He eats with them. That, that gave blanket acceptance to the people. You know, in, in biblical time, if you were going to show blanket acceptance, then you had a meal and you went to their home. Otherwise, you know, you, you had just locked yourself in with, with people. You had just become, uh, you know, part of their group. You, you had just given them approval. You approved of their lifestyle. I don't know, you and me are looking at people and we're going, well, I, I refuse to approve of their lifestyle. Well, it's funny, Jesus did. But we're better than him, you know. We're better than Jesus. We got a better idea how to handle stuff because he was, you know. Shoot, he'd only been in ministry three years. 
Jesus starts telling this story, and he's not telling it to warm their hearts. He's telling it to shatter their categories. Let's just start at Luke 15, verse 11. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger said to his father, give me my share. Give me my share. Give me my share. You know, this, just, just this mindset, and, you know, and I'm going to try to jet through this, this portion and get down to the elder brother real quick, but something about this mindset, give me my share. What do you mean my share? There's, God owes me. We, we kind of have this mindset that, that God ought to give us stuff, that he owes us stuff. And the crazy thing about this father is that he divided his property between them. The word property there is bios. The, the young son's looking at his stuff. He, he's actually telling his father, I'm going to live as if you were dead. Because what, what I should come to me after you die, I want now. So I'm going to pretend like you're dead now. And when I, when I think about my future, I don't see you in it, but I do see your stuff. So give me your stuff so I can get on with my future. So he divided his property. Again, it's... He, the writer could have used uh, a word, Jesus could have used a word when he was telling the story that was more uh, strictly related to things, but he used the word bios because uh, he was trying to point out that, uh, you know, that, that what he was asking for was for the father to literally break his life into pieces. See, you, you think it's the house. No, he, it was his life. He, he, he gave up his life. He sacrificed portions of his life to provide for his family. And the young son, you don't see the life in it. He just sees the stuff that's going to make his world better. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got it all together. And it's funny that that's what we think, that we got it all together. He, son got together, he got to get all he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth and wild living. Everybody say wild living. Come on, say wild living. You know what wild living is? It's just somebody doing stuff that you don't get to and it kind of irritates you because they do. <laughs> Next verse. After he spent everything. After he spent everything. There's a severe famine. That's kind of the way it goes, isn't it? And in the whole country, and he began to be in need. I got news for you. He was in need before he left the house. Verse 15, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I just want you to see, he's still expecting people to give him stuff. It's the handout mentality. You know, the government ought to take care of me. They owe me. You know, but can I just can I just say some stuff this morning? You're, you're, the company you work for didn't hire you because you needed a job. Some of y'all going, they what? They didn't hire you because you needed a job. They hired you to work. It wasn't so you'd swing by every now and again and bless them with your presence. Well, they owe me that stuff. Well, not if you didn't work, really. You're just stealing. 
Okay, I'll keep going. Nobody gave him nothing. But then he came to his senses. So can, can you back up one verse? Is it easy? 16 again. Look at that. He longed to fill his stomach, but no one gave him anything. Okay. So if you're expecting everybody to carry you, look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, if you're still expecting everybody to carry you, you're still crazy. If you haven't come to your senses yet, one translation says you're right mind. So if you think the world owes you, if you think the government should take care of you, if you think if you're looking for somebody, who can I sue next? You're, you're just nuts. But when you come to your right mind, look what he said. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And I, here I am. I'm starving to death. I did it my way, but I'm worse off. And it's starting to see it. My way ain't working out too good. Verse 18. I'll set out and go back to my father and I will say to him. And he begins to practice his repentance speech. Because he's come to his right mind. He realizes I have sinned against heaven and you. I have missed the mark. Look at what he says in 19. I'm not worthy to be called your son. So I'll be like one of the hired servants. I got a proposition. See, because in order for him to come back, in order for the father to cut out, his in, you know, cut him out, uh, give him the inheritance to, to cut down the family standing. They, they're, man, this was not, this is not just some little easy task. This was a huge ordeal. It was against all of their customs. And, uh, the father, according to their custom, this is a Middle Eastern culture. He should have, he should have, uh, disowned his son, had a funeral, and lived as if he were dead. He should have driven him out and abused him on the way, but he didn't. He let him go. And now he's coming back, and in order for the son to come back, he has to buy his way back in. He can't just come hang around the house. you got to come back. You, you should have worked, saved up the, everything that you took in, uh, when you left, and brought it back with interest. I can't, I can't come back as your son. I've blown that opportunity. But I will come back like one of the servants. And, and look at verse 20. He got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And filled with compassion. He ran to his son. This is a patriarchal uh, society. It was, it, was, it was not acceptable for the father to pull his robe up, show his flesh, and run. The daddy's breaking all the rules. Because he sees his son, who he thought was never coming back, he's coming home. Look what he does. He runs, he throws his arm around him. He kisses him. 21. The son said, Father, and he starts his speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And verse 22, but the father stopped him, interrupts the repentance. And says, quick. Now, by the way, just a little side note. Maybe you and I ought to be quicker to forgive than we are. Maybe we shouldn't make people grovel like we want them to. Come on, tell me again. Come on, come on, tell me again. You were wrong. Say it. Say it. Bring me the best robe. Whose robe was that? That was the father's robe. He not only 
bypasses the fact that his son should buy his way back in, but now he has given him his robe. Put a ring on his finger. That's the American Express gold card. He's just been reinstated. Put sandals on his feet. Look at verse 23. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a party. Bring the fattened calf. Bring the fattened calf. These guys, i got to tell you something, man. This is crazy. Because he's just celebrating. And in all the stories, by the way, in this chapter, remember there's a story of, of, the, of the lost sheep. And when they find the lost sheep, don't you leave the 99 and go out and find the one. And when you find the one, you bring it back. And don't you get everybody together and don't you throw a party? And remember the coin, same, same chapter, the woman, she loses her coin, she tears the house apart, she, she cleans the house, she finds the coin, she calls her friends and says, let's celebrate. Well here, th- this younger brother is taken off, he comes back home, he, this my son who is dead is alive again, and we are having a party. They began to celebrate. Everybody say, they began to celebrate. Man, party is on. Look at the next verse. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Man, you got these people who've been out messing around, screwing around in life. They come in, they're having a party while we're out in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music. He could, he could, he could feel the bass guitar hitting him in the chest. They dancing. I'm working. The, he's coming from the field. And didn't say when he got in the house. When he got near the house, they got it cranked up. Look at verse 26. He called the servant and said, "What is happening here?" Oh, check it out. Your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's, he's back safe and sound. 28. The older brother said, well, that's awesome. I love parties. No, he got ticked and he refused to go in. He got angry. You, you know, anger is always an emotional response that something's been taken from you. And you want it back. You know, that's why some people really struggle with forgiveness because forgiveness literally means to cancel the debt. Well, if I cancel the debt, I'm not getting back what was taken. And it's the fact that something's been taken from me that has me angry. And since something's been taken from me, somebody ought to pay it back. You know, if you were abused, I'm not trying to belittle your situation. If you were abused as a young child by by a family member and it's been 30 years and you're still struggling with that, how exactly do you think they're going to repay that debt? I mean, you could get, you get maybe, maybe they'd knock on the front door and they'd, they'd stand there weeping and begging for forgiveness. How do they, but still, how, how, do they, how do they pay you back? If it was your father, he, he can't be your daddy. 
Yeah, how does he go back? You know, uh, how do you cancel that debt? You, you're going to have to figure out some other way to deal with that pain because daddy can't come back and pay that debt. So you ain't ever getting what was taken. And in this story, the older brother's angry because something's been taken from him. His dreams have been dashed into pieces. His, his perspective, his picture, his expectation has not been Met. It's like uh, expectation and reality have collided and the door to disappointment has swung wide open. And he's angry, upset, and he's not going to participate in a party that's wrong. So the father goes out and pleads with him. Look at 29. He answered his father, look. Absolutely no respect for his father. Again, you got to understand this, where this is at. And, and, you know, I don't know how else to tell you, but in the patriarchal society that they're in, you don't talk like your dad like this. You don't, you don't treat him this way. I think it's hard for us to understand this story because of how we treat people in, in our society. You know, we, we just think that's acceptable. It was not acceptable. And he now begins to say to his father, in, in, in tones and words that he would never use to the head of that household. He's acting just like the younger brother, but just from a different perspective. All these years, I've been slaving for you. Years. All the years I've been serving Jesus. Sounds like you hated every minute of it. Look at all the church services I've been to. You know how many times I've set up those chairs? I've slaved for it. I've never disobeyed your orders. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. There's none righteous, no, not one. But when we look at ourselves, we don't see our faults. All these years I've slaved, I've been your slave. I've never broken your rules. I wore a suit and a tie, I paid my tithes. I was never late. I was at every service, and I served in the Sunday school. You never even gave me a goat. So he's really irritated about the fattened calf. Because the fattened calf, these guys don't eat meat a lot because it's so expensive. And when they kill the fattened calf, they can't save it. You know, they, they can't put it away somewhere and come back to it and tap it. No, we got to eat it. So when you kill the fattened calf, it's not for you and your close friends. It's a community-wide event. It's a city barbecue. You didn't even give me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I would have liked to have had a small private party. Just something to celebrate me and my goodness. Because you know what? I'm good. 
I've slaved for you for years. I've never broken your rules. You should have had parties for me. Here I've been out in the field. I come in. You have a citywide party for the dude. You know what? Bro, bro, been running around with ho-ho. He comes in. You got the big old party going on, flashing lights. I've been out there slaving. Slaving. And I don't even get a private party down at Yoplicity with some of my friends. Look at verse 30. When this son of yours, not even, not even brother, not even his brother. No, when this son of yours, who by the way has squandered your property, which when you die is going to be my property. He has wasted our earning potential. And he did it with prostitutes. And he comes home. And you pull the whole city together. And celebrate. Notice what he said. All these years. What, what verse was that? Was that like 28? All these years I've slaved for you. See, he just lied. Because he hadn't slaved for him. He had worked for himself. See, you say I live to please God. But why is it when something that pleases God irritates you? How is it that we have the ability to convince ourselves that we're actually wanting to please our Father when what pleases our Father irritates us? That worship's too long. Well, we weren't doing it for you. The Bible says in John that the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. God's looking for worshipers. Yeah, but my feet are... Don't you think that if he was living to please the Father when he came home and saw how happy the Father was, he would have rejoiced? But why didn't he? Well, because he, didn't, he wasn't concerned with what pleased the Father. He was concerned with what pleased him. And this is what, you know what's crazy is in all the stories of lost things that Jesus tells, he tells these stories and they find, a, they find you know, the lamb and they celebrate and, and it's come back, that which was lost was found. They find the coin and that which was lost is found and there's a party. The younger brother, they, they, he comes home, that which was lost is found, we've got a party. But when he gets to the elder brother, well, let, let's read on here for a minute. We had to celebrate. Because your brother was dead and alive again. He's lost and is found. Well, what about the elder brother? Because he's just as lost as the younger brother. And Jesus just leaves him hanging. And now you see why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are so upset. Because... It's not that hard for me to see how some younger brother mentality that doesn't care about the father, he just wants to say, it's easy for me to see that, but it's kind of difficult when you compare me to the older brother. And it is just as 
what do you mean he's just as lost? And how come he's not found? Well, because you still have to choose. Look at your neighbor and say, you got some choices to make. Hmm. I mean, he goes through all this stuff, you know, that. The older brother, you know, he, he kind of goes down the list. Look, man, I've had up the years I've worked for you like a slave. Hey, consider my perfection. Never, no, never disobeyed your orders. Didn't even get a small goat party. And you know how I love goat meat, Daddy. So basically, somebody's got your goat. I had to try. It's there. <laughs> There's a an apocryph- ap- apocryphal story. You know, not everything written about Jesus is in the book. There's a lot of stuff written that wasn't canonized, right? A lot of historical writings, very true, but they just weren't included in the Bible. And And there's one story that i want to share with you this morning and kind of give you the message version i will call it the i'm gonna if I, I've, I've considered writing my own bible calling it the field east translation um and if i ever do the field east translation i'm going to include this story because th- this story is a good i love this story jesus one day calls his disciples together and he says we're going to take a trip i want you to follow me before we leave today though i want each of you to pick up a stone and carry it for me now follow me. So each of the disciples went and they picked up a stone. Peter being who he was, he went and searched and he found a relatively small stone that would slide into his pocket because there was no regulations given by Jesus as to the size or the weight of the stone. And, and Jesus wasn't specific about the, the shape of the stone. So he just looked for one that would be easy. And so he picked it up and he slid it in his pocket and they took off on their trip. And later in the day, it had been quite some time, but they got to a, uh, to a certain place where Jesus had the disciples sit down. And he said, hey, pull those stones out. And everybody pulled the stone out that they had carried. And Jesus waved his hands over the stones and, and all of the stones were turned to bread. And he said, it's lunchtime. Let's eat. Peter was done quite rapidly. And had some thinking time while he watched his fellow disciples Enjoy their lunch. Hungry, slightly irritated. Ready to get on the road. Have you ever noticed when the person's done before you how they want you to hurry? So we can get out of here. But if they're still eating and you're waiting, relax. (laughs) Peter's in a hurry. Jesus finally says, okay, guys, let's go. Now, by the way, before we leave, what I'd like you to do, though, is one more time. I'm going to ask you to follow me. But on this journey, I'm, I'm still, I, I would like you to pick up a stone and carry it for me. Peter's smart now. He's like, I know what's coming later in the day, and I'm going to need more than what I had. So he finds a boulder. I mean, he can hardly carry it. This sucker's heavy. Everybody's looking at him like, oh, my Lord, Pete. He's like, I got this. And so he's hauling this thing around. They go through the journey and the rest of the day, and they're dirty, and they're hot, and they're tired. And they can't get at the end of the day, they walk up to a body of water, and Jesus says, hey, throw those stones in the water. 
So they all do it. Not, you know, and they're expecting all kinds of things to come up out of the water. Jesus just says, okay, let's go follow me. And everybody's confused. And, and Jesus perceives their confusion and he stops and he says, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? Are you expecting something? Don't you remember the instructions? I just want you to carry a stone for me. Didn't want you to carry a stone to get something. Just want you to carry a stone for me. And I think many of us with our elder brother mindset, we're looking at everything we're doing for God. I'm wondering when it's going to start paying off. When are the benefits going to roll our way? I've gone to church all my life. I've been a tither. I've given offerings. I've used my talents for the Lord. So surely bad things shouldn't be happening to me. God owes me. Kind of irritates me when people who live a sinful life come in and he gives them healing and he gives them deliverance and he gives them breakthrough and he gives them vision and he gives them opportunity. And here I am and I've slaved for you for years. They get a fattened calf and I don't even get a stupid goat. They get citywide recognition and I can't even get respect from a few of my friends. Oh, that rock in your pocket. Who are you carrying that for? When you were serving in the children's department, who were you doing that for? When you were getting the family ready to come to church, who were you doing that for? Well, the least God could do is make my kids obey. Well, we've all tried that. You just need to carry your rock. Who are you doing it for? You know, when it comes to free market, we're asking God, what should we bring? Well, I'll tell you what, if I give him my couch, I ought to get a new house. With more bedrooms and an in-ground pool. Mm, pause and think about that. I remember as a kid, we, you know, I had an interesting childhood because my, my father, uh, he had had an interesting background. And uh, my mother sold real estate. She sold ranches. She did really, really well. She drove Cadillacs. We went from church to church evangelizing. My dad went and searched and bought a Rambler station wagon that was really old and smoked when you ran it because he felt more comfortable pulling up in front of churches in a car that would barely run. Because we couldn't come up in a Cadillac. Why, why can't we ride in a Cadillac? It got air conditioning. We're down in Rogue River, Oregon, and it's 110 degrees, and we're driving up the street one day with the windows rolled down. And every house we drove by had a swimming pool out there. A bunch of his family lived down there, and he, he'd say, son, you see those people over there? And I said, mm-hmm, I see those people, Dad. I see them. And he said, son, those people are miserable. They're sitting by their pool drinking lemonade. And I'm thinking, I wish I was miserable too. Someday I'm going to be miserable. 
We just want stuff, though. And we, you know, we, we, we think that we did something for God and he owes us. No, we should be doing it because we love God. I mean, the reality is, is, is that we know the word of God. We know the character of God. But isn't it funny how we've twisted everything to be to our benefit? And when it don't go our way, we act like God's let us down. I wonder if you really were to evaluate who has let whom down. We want God to respond to us the way we want him to respond to us. I mean, think about it. They shall shout for joy that favored my righteous cause. Right? And, and we know that, that God takes pleasure. This is Bible. Bible. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And so we're thinking, well, I've been serving God, so God ought to take pleasure in prospering me. When in reality, what you need to understand is, is that if God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, then as a servant, you ought to do everything you can to prosper, not so you can prosper, but so you can please God. Better yet, if you really want a true perspective, if God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, then what I ought to do is find people who are serving God and make sure that I do what I can to make them prosper. Instead of expecting it to be for me, I should be looking at it as how do I help others prosper so that I can see them grow, which will make my father pleased. See, I don't have to worry about my prosperity. God has a plan for my life. He's going to prosper me. He's giving me hope and giving me future. Well, what I need to do is look around and find people who are serving him. Maybe a couple girls going to Peru. Maybe somebody who's done a great job. You know, how many kids we got going to youth camp today? You know, there's like 28 people leaving town today, going to youth camp. How many are glad it's not you? <laughs> yeah. What has two thumbs and is happy about not going to youth camp? The sky! Yeah. Maybe people who are serving God. Maybe, maybe you ought to make their life better. Maybe. And, and why? Well, because it would please our Father. You know, what we want us to do, what we want the mindset for us to embrace, you know, in the second half of this year, the next six months, is that we would live really to please God, not to find out what we could get out of it. So that we could annihilate that elder brother mentality out of our life so we could refuse to go through life with a mindset that, that's trying to get God to do what we want. We, we don't want to be manipulating God. I want God to manipulate us. We pray God change us from the inside out. How about we let him do it? How about we go through the day and we're finding somebody that we could bless that couldn't possibly reciprocate? I mean, you know those folks that you say, well, they don't deserve it. I'll tell you why they're standing. I'll tell you what. i tell you what. You, you know, those people with that sign will work for food. Doesn't everybody? I mean, I'm just being honest. This is kind of what goes through my mind when I see the will work for food sign. I'm thinking everybody in town's working for food. I, I wonder how come you never see those guys 
in the country where the jobs are at because they don't want to work. Well, instead of judging them, what if you let God use you? Well, they're just taking advantage. How can they take advantage if we give it? Boy, this is going to suck the next time we see one of those guys, isn't it? Why? Because I must decrease so he can increase. You know what we're going to do today on your way out the door? We've got some stones. And we want you to take one. Some of you are going to look like Peter because last night they took all the small ones, so all you got is big old giant rocks. Man, and you know, and we might run out before you get out the door. I don't know if we, I don't know. Seems like you could probably go find a rock on your own, but we'll try to give you one. And if it really burns your toast, you can have mine. I'll get another. But I want to challenge you to carry a rock in your pocket. Some of those you'll have to carry in your purse. And if you're a man, you're going to need a backpack. But hey. Just get a rock, okay? I didn't inspect them when I bought them. They said they were all this size. They are not all this size. No wonder that thing was so heavy. But I want you to carry this so that you remember why you do what you do. You're looking for opportunities to serve and to bless, to please Him. Nobody else. Especially not you. I'm telling you, I believe that God wants to do a work in your life and in your home and in your business and in our community and in our church that will be bigger and greater than anything that we could imagine or think. But he needs, us to, he needs us to remember that we're carrying it for him. For him. He can do miraculous things, but we're doing it for him. One more story and I'm done. Just a historical story. There was, a, there was a man who loved to farm who had a small piece of ground. And one day he was bringing in harvest of carrots and he had grown this tremendous carrot. It was huge. And it was perfect. It's, 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 it's like David Kleiss had trained him. He saw this carrot and he was so... Just in awe that of God. I mean, look at this thing. He cleaned it all up, and he, and he went in, and he went to he went and asked to be seen by the king. And he he, he got into the king's court, and, and he brought this carrot in, and and he presented it to the king. And he said, "Oh, oh, great king, this is by far the best carrot I've ever grown, and there's not another carrot like it in all the land. I don't think there will ever, ever, ever be another one like it." So I, I want to give it to you, King. And the king discerned his heart and he said, you know what? I, I appreciate that carrot so much. You know that piece of ground that's right next to your property? Said, oh, yes, King, I've seen it. He goes, I, I own that. Yeah, I, I know that's yours. He goes, well, today and from this day forward, that's yours. 
Because I know that you love to garden. And I know that you love to care for the ground and that you're a great steward. And so I'm giving you that ground. And I want you to garden the entire thing. The man went out of his presence that day just thrilled. There was a nobleman in earshot that day who had heard. And he, he thought to himself, wow, if a carrot, if that's the, if that what you get for a carrot, oh boy. So he went home and he, he got the best stallion he owned. His prized stallion. And he brought the stallion into the king and he said, oh, great king. He said, this is by far the greatest stallion that I possess. He goes, it's the greatest stallion in all the land. And I don't think there will ever be another stallion quite like this one. And the king perceived his heart. And so he said, thank you. As the man was leaving, he was so disappointed. And the king called to him and he says, I know why you brought your horse. Because you heard what happened to the man who brought his carrot. He said, Before you go, let me explain that the farmer brought a carrot for me. You brought a stallion for yourself. You brought your life. It was either for God or for you. Still hanging in the balance. We're lost, but we don't have to stay that way. I want you to close your book, bow your head, and let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you today that you're doing a work in us, that you're challenging us, that you're.